You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. This is going to be very nauseating. I'm going to start with you guys, and then I'm going to move around. Um, My name is John, and uh, I am of no consequence to you at all, other than the fact that I lead a church, which if you're ever visiting the center of London, you're very, very welcome to come to. It would be great to see you anytime, and from time to time, people do drop in. It's always good. Now, you, however, are much more significant to us than we may be to you, because anything that you do here that lives, any story of the kind that we heard earlier on in, um, during the testimony slot, anything that you do that God blesses is an incredible encouragement to us in London. And I'm, I'm not joking. Anything that God does through you that we hear about, that we can be glad about, and that we can rejoice in, strengthens us in our continuing conviction to start new churches. And so you, you should never underestimate the importance of what you do here to us. It just helps us go again to think again about how important it is to give away uh, what we've got, etc. So thank you. <clears throat> So I was talking to an evangelical pastor in Charlotte once, and he led a very significant ministry, and he was trying to explain to me how God never spoke to him. And we were having a chat about how God speaks. And I said to him, so are you saying to me you've never been out in the creation and been moved by how beautiful it is and sensed something above and beyond yourself? He said, no, I have experienced that. And I said, well, I think that's God speaking to you. I said, have you never been, in, surely you've been in many church services where somebody's been preaching and it seems as though you're the only person in the room and it seems as though God has been speaking specifically to you. You must have had that experience. He said, yes, I have. And I said, well, that's what I think of as God speaking to you. And I said, have you ever been desperate for a piece of advice or wisdom and happened to have an apparently random conversation with someone and as they've been speaking, they've effectively answered your question? And it's brought a great sense of peace and the knowledge that God has answered your question. He said, yes, I've experienced that as well. And I said, well, that's what I mean when I talk about God speaking to you. And I said, just final step. Have you ever known something about someone that you couldn't possibly know at a human level? And he said, no, I've never done that. He said, actually, there was one time when I was in a cafe speaking to a young guy. And all of a sudden, I knew he was a prostitute. I said, okay, and you're telling me you've never heard God speak. So he's ticked all the boxes, every single box, as far as I'm concerned. Now, the thing is, I just want to begin with the reflection that often we, we do not know, we do not seem to see what God is doing. Even though we're quite familiar with God, we, we don't necessarily see what he's doing. And there are lots of reasons for that. But I want to start there because this morning when I was praying, I had a very strong impression, a quite weird impression, of somebody looking at a boat, and then another boat, and then another boat. Tons of boats coming in, boats, one boat after another. It's like so fast, they can't handle the number of boats coming into their hands, coming under their control. And um, I don't know if there's anybody here who is a specialist boat manufacturer, or has really got a lot to do with boats. I don't know. But I'm, I believe that God has shown me that there are a number of people here who haven't recognized or aren't or need to be reminded, perhaps, that all of that stuff in your hands, all the stuff that God has put in your hands, that's God. That is God. 
the, the thing that's overwhelming, there's so much of it, it's God. And we need to be reminded that it's him, it's not you. It is God. It is an act of God. But here's the thing. In order to make it something amazing for the kingdom of God, it cannot be your might or your power. It has to be the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there are multitudes of talented, tremendously gifted people, aren't there, in the world who have extraordinary gifts. But you see them wrestling with what, you know, how, what kind of use to make of it other than the sort of the satisfaction of themselves. And here are we, the vast majority of us Christians, and I, my observation is that we in the church also don't seem to recognize the incredible thing that's in our hand. That is God's gift. It's a tremendous gift of God. But in order to maximize the impact of that thing, it has to be by the Spirit. That's why I'm interested in the prophetic word that Virginia had about the watermill with the water pouring down. But it has to be by the Spirit of God. And I think we all need to be reminded of that from time to time. We've got it. God is giving it, giving it to us. But if we want it to be powerfully used by him, it has to be directed by him, empowered by him, etc., etc. Anyway, boat people, you come and talk to me about it afterwards. So basically, um, I want to talk about how we can experience more of the power of the Spirit. I haven't forgotten you. Um, I'm coming around now. There we are. Um, I want to speak about how we can open ourselves to more of the Spirit, but I'd like to start right at the beginning, if that's okay. So this is for the benefit of people who possibly don't really want to be here this morning. I mean, again, my experience of church is that there are always people who come because their wife or their husband wants them to be there, or they just, by sod's law, just happen to have found themselves here. You know, and as it's gone on, whether it's been the music and it's confrontationally intimate style, um, or Antley and his confrontational style, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's become more and more uncomfortable, and you probably thought... How bad would it be to leave before the guy starts speaking? Especially since he's English and I won't understand it anyway. (laughs) But you're still here. So I'd just like to start right at the beginning. Why would anybody want to open themselves to a power beyond themselves, to the spirit of the living God above and beyond themselves? And I'd, I'd like to suggest that One of the areas which we are rapidly growing in understanding of is neuroscience. I don't know if you know this. But we've made radical developments in our understanding of how the brain works. We can measure the effect of all kinds of things in the brain in the way that we couldn't. And what that's doing, amongst other things, is establishing how powerful the impulses in our brain, how powerfully they react when we feel securely connected to another person. So therefore, how crucially important relationship is, how crucial it is to little babies in their development, especially in 0 to 3 age categories, how crucial it is in marriage. So for example, 9-11 survivors that have actually managed to go on to have meaningful lives are people who who have secure relationships with other people, people who've experienced other post-traumatic stress disorders. Their ability to go on beyond that experience, that trauma, is directly related to the, the experience they have of close relationships. Conversely, people who are left alone suffer more and more. And so, for example, dementia and being alone is an established connection, and we are discovering more and more that human beings are not meant to live alone. So, if you normally come here and you regard yourself as a Christian, this will not be news. We know that it's not good for man or woman to be alone. 
But I want to suggest to those who feel that they are far off, to those who are um, not sure why on earth they're here today, I just want to start by saying that a deep, strong, emotional connection with the person who's made you is absolutely essential for your well-being. That is one of the most important determinatives of whether you will have a happy life. I'm only thinking of you. I just want you to be happy. And basically, I therefore want to say the most important thing in establishing this sense of well-being in us is whether we are deeply connected to other people and whether we are deeply connected to the God who's made us. And um, therefore, Christianity is, as many of us know it here, not a religion. It is a relationship. And on the life course, I'm delighted that you do the life course. We do the life course as well. And it, it is such a fantastic thing to see new people come in, to hear their stories of conversion, to see them then reaching their friends. It's greatly affirmatory for our faith who are already here. I strongly encourage you to do everything you can to bring people to the uh, course in October. But basically... It has at its heart the contention that Christianity is a living relationship with God, not a religion. Religion is a very bad thing, a very negative thing. It's the height of our rebellion against God, actually, as human beings, religion. And if you think about it, if you just extracted everything else from the Gospels and were stuck with what Jesus says to religious people, I don't even think you'd think he was a very nice guy. Jesus really did not like religion or religious people. They were the enemy, and they continue to be. Christianity is a relationship of the heart, a deep sense of peace in relationship with the living God, our Father. That's what it's about. Now, obviously, churches, which are full of idiots like ourselves, have done their very best to undermine this idea, and in this particular culture, turned it into a series of laws and rules. Now, in my particular culture, they've turned it into absolutely nothing. The English specialize in creating churches which believe nothing, do nothing, and are irrelevant to everybody. Here, on the other hand, you, the, the travesty has been, if I'm generalizing, to create law-based institutions where rules and laws dominate what it is to be a Christian. I'm saying to you, you cannot legislate any relationship. My wife is here today. Just imagine how horrible it would be if I said to her, my darling, it's ten past nine. It's time for our first kiss of the day. Come into my arms, it's our first kiss time. Lovely. Now you go and do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we will connect together again at quarter to 11 for kiss number two, and also words of affirmation. <laughs> words of affirmation will be, will be at quarter two, because I know that's your love language. And by the way, at 2.15, I will expect you to fulfill my love needs, which are primarily gifts. <laughs> so, you know, just imagine the legislation of love. You cannot legislate love. Love is love. And whilst we absolutely want to live holy lives and lives that are pleasing to God, no amount of law-giving or, or rule, rule attending is actually going to deliver that. What's going to deliver it is an honest, open encounter that's a daily process with a Father who loves us despite everything, despite our idiocy. I often say this, but I'd like to say it again. It's not a compliment to be a Christian, to be called a Christian. It's not a compliment. We are God's sick joke on the other people. God has taken the weak and foolish and broken things of the world to shame the wise and the strong. So we are not the wise and the strong. If you have signed up and you're a fully practicing member of the church thing, that means you are saying that you are part of God's sense of humor. When we say, wouldn't it be amazing if so-and-so was converted? It would be incredible if you know, this famous person you know, became, got converted and they'd be an incredible example. We are aiming too high. 
See what I'm saying? It's not a compliment. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep are stupid animals. We are the sheep of God. He is our shepherd. Sheep do very little. I don't know how much you know about sheep. I don't know much about sheep. But I do know that when they fall over, they can't get back up. I also know that in, in, you know, in circumstances of snow, which obviously you don't have, basically, if they're in a field, they will go to the same part of the field every single time. Even if there's a blizzard, they'll still go there and be blizzarded in. Because sheep are stupid. We are like sheep. We have gone astray. We will go astray. We are going astray. It's what we do. It's us. And therefore, of course, people have created churches which are not that relational. They're doing their best. They're being sincere. But they just can't get it sorted out. I can't remember what time I'm supposed to finish. What time am I actually supposed to finish? 15 more minutes. Okay. So, 15 more minutes. That's excellent. Um, so I just, I just would like to say, uh, to start with then, after the tragedy of the symbolic description of what happens to humanity, falling out of relationship with God in Genesis, the beginnings of God's um, return, return of God, is with Abraham, whose name at the time is Abraham, a very small name, but he gets extended to Abraham as he discovers more about God. But basically, he doesn't know much about God. As he discovers little things about God, um, he... He gives him little descriptive epithets, um, adjectives to describe what he's like. So he's El Elam, God who, sh- who sees. He's El Shaddai, God who provides. But actually, Abraham doesn't really know very much about God. Then his, you know, um, his descendants find themselves as a nothing class. They don't have a name. They are a nothing group being exploited for all their worth until they die, making bricks for Egyptians. They are a nothing people. And this God... Um, raises up a deliverer called Moses and he rescues them and he takes them back to himself for no apparent reason. And he says, if you'll just follow this guy, who can't, by the way, speak, but his brother can, um, he's got a big stick, um, basically follow him and he'll give you a land for yourselves. But you see, even when, when Moses first discovers God's name, it turns out to be I am who I am, which isn't very informative. So again, Moses doesn't know very much about this God. And effectively, throughout the Old Testament, you have occasional representatives, but they are the representatives between God and everybody else. So everybody else doesn't really know him either, not really. And that's stage one. So God who created the world has come alongside this non-people for, some apparent, for no apparent reason and chosen them for no apparent reason and then basically drawn them to himself. But there's many things they don't know about him. They can't say his name. It's too holy. They can't make a statue of him. That would be blasphemous and so on. So the God who's revealed himself in this relational process is in many ways above and beyond understanding. However, then in Act 2, God comes as close as possible in a way that we can really understand by making himself flesh, taking upon himself flesh and blood so that we cannot mistake him. And if you've never had the Jesus problem, I'm just going to give it to you. The Jesus problem is this, that clearly Jesus said and did things that are just like the rest of us. He, he sweats, um, he, his feet get dirty, he, he can be angry, he can be happy, he can cry. He can do things which are exactly like any other human being. And he even shows us how um, dignified we can be as human beings. I was reading in Matthew 9 yesterday, I've never noticed this, that when Jesus is healing the paralytic and having a fight with the religious people, he says, you know, he says what's more difficult to do? So tell, tell this person to stand up, take up their mat and go home. Or tell them their sins are forgiven. And he says, I I tell you, your sins are forgiven. And the people rejoice. So this is what it says um, in Matthew 9. The people rejoice that God has given such authority to human beings. 
So they don't attribute it to God. They see the authority that a human being can have in releasing another human being from the problem of guilt. Amazing. I mean, we are a serious piece of work even without God because we're in the image of God. However, God has put his own, God has taken a selfie and shown us what he's like in the person of his son. Here's God's selfie, Jesus. So that none of us might, not, might ever want to question what he is like. God is like Jesus. When we do the life course, people often want to know, well, why don't you start with God? Why don't we start with the existence of God before we go on to Jesus? Because the answer is, the Christian contention is, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And we could own, logically, we could only know of God what God chooses to disclose. So it's like I want to communicate with a colony of ants. What would be the best way to do that? Well, quite possibly for me to become one. At least they'd understand me as I do ant talk with them, whatever that is. So basically, um, that's act two. But then Jesus says an astonishing thing to his disciples, which, you know what, guys? It's better that I go away. And of course, because the disciples are mighty men and women of faith, they go, no, it can't possibly be. It couldn't possibly be better that you go away. There is no frame of reference by which that could be a good thing. Jesus means he goes by via the cross and the resurrection so that the presence of God can come right in at the center. So God is coming closer and closer and closer. Can you see that? It's a story of relationship. God is missing you, as one of the prophetic words said. That's right. God is missing you. He's missing some of you. Not only do we not understand what God has given us, but we also don't understand the heart of God, probably not surprisingly, because we are stupid. It's just the way we are. We will always have this problem with God, always. I mean, the other day I was leading something, and um, somebody was telling a story about how their knee had been healed, and they got prayed for by somebody, but they had this impression they should be prayed for by Sue. So anyway, Sue comes over, prays for them, and they're healed. Anyway, so she's jabbering on, telling this great story, and I'm losing consciousness, thinking I'm only interested in Sue. I don't know why, but I'm just trying to follow the Spirit. So I say, Sue, where are you? Could you stand up? And I I found myself saying to Sue, isn't it incredible how God has been able to use you despite everything? The problem was, it didn't sound like that. It sounded like, despite everything, Sue, you're a bit of a loser. And I said it the wrong way, and basically, it sounded a bit like a criticism. You know, obviously, you've been sinning, Sue, but God has used you. It sounded a bit like that, and I regretted it, but I hadn't got time to do anything about it. So basically, (laughs) anyway, I got a note from her later on to say that. The year before, she'd been diagnosed with cancer, and basically, um, uh, you know, the, the whole year had been complete hell for her. Fortunately, by God's grace, she was better. Um, But when I said, despite everything, everything, I probably said it like that, that's what she heard. So it was an amazing affirmation to her and her um, family. But what I want to say to you is, I had no idea that was going on. And often I found that when God does use me, like some of those stories where somebody prays about, I see that you're full of light and you're meant to be a light to the world. That's clearly a great prophetic um, confirmation of what's going on in that person's life that they couldn't know. But the, the person saying it doesn't know, he's probably thinking to himself, oh, blimey. Oh, and not just talking about Jesus being sending you out as light. Well, doesn't everybody know that? That's what he's probably thinking. He's probably thinking, I don't know if I'm going to say that because it sounds a bit wet. But I'll say, okay, God, I'll say it anyway. Generally speaking, we have no idea what we're doing. That's what I want to say. <clears throat> But God comes closer and closer and closer. Just, uh, sorry, joking apart, what time do I have to finish? Yeah, tell me what time to finish. Five minutes. Five minutes, okay. So, 
the thing is that the Holy Spirit um, is put right at the heart of our beings, and that's always been God's desire. And so, you know, we read about this on the day of Pentecost. I'll just read these very familiar verses, which is the culmination of this great story of God coming closer and closer. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. And really, it's just an overwhelming experience. Uh, recently, I led a prayer meeting, and I thought, I was thinking to myself, what would that be like to be in a house? which started burning and you look around it oh look you've caught fire oh serve you oh so have I just just imagine what that would be like I mean it's not a nice experience we domesticate the bible so much don't we you know no wonder they got out and what would you do if you were in a house that was burning you would get out they got out and so but it's but it's an overwhelming thing this God coming closer and closer and closer now I know that sometimes we've been um uh in our churches um, taught to be cautious about the, the things of the Holy Spirit in particular. But you know, you cannot be cautious about the Holy Spirit. Can I just ask you, can you imagine Jesus uttering a beatitude like, blessed are the cautious? <laughs> Do you think? I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, but be cautious. <laughs> I want you to stand for me in front of judges and rulers, etc., but be cautious. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if anything, it'd be more likely to say, blessed are those who get carried away. Because though they may be a bit mental, they will see the power of God. Don't you think? I've noticed that quite a lot of people who do see the power of God are a bit mental. You know, somebody who's an extremist is somebody who's just a little bit more enthusiastic than you. It's my general experience. So, basically, all that to say... Um, you have the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian because you cannot be baptized into Jesus without having the Spirit. Baptism in the Spirit means conversion. It means you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you receive the forgiveness of sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. But we are told to go on and on being filled with the Spirit, receive more of the Spirit so that we can extend the kingdom of God. So, would you like to stand? I think I've finished within time. Amazing. Um, <clears throat> so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to ask you to open your hands. This is the model of prayer that we use in this church. Um, this is symbolic. It's a way of saying I'm open to God as opposed to this, which is a way of saying, go away, God, I'm not interested in the slightest. So I would recommend enacting in your body what you might be wanting to do in your spirit, unless you don't want to, in which case you don't have to, obviously. Close your eyes so you're not distracted. And then I'm going to ask um, people, we, we are, we'll pray for a lot of people. Okay, we'll pray for a lot of people, but the first in church are always those who are furthest away. Always those who are furthest away. And so, this is an opportunity for you if you want to um, say to Jesus, well, for whatever reason, even though this this guy's been droning on, uh, I do feel the need to um, open myself to you or come back to you if I've been away for a long time. So, a way to do that doesn't have to be like this, and it's not about exposing you. 
A way to do this is for you to come forward and to have somebody pray for you. So I'm just going to start by letting you do that if you need to. So this is to start with for people who have never really let God get hold of them for whatever reason, uh, have kept the spirit at arm's length for whatever reason, uh, or people who know that they could do with actually just coming back. And quite frankly, I have been in situations like this where I could have done with going forward. I haven't because I don't have the balls, but I should have done. Um, and basically, um, I know that a lot of you will have more courage than I do. So basically, so for example, when I became a Christian, somebody said this, and basically I could feel a power moving me off my chair to the front. I'm not joking. It's the only time it's ever happened in my life. I could feel a power moving me forward. So I held onto the chair and waited for the feeling to pass off, which it did. I am that stupid. Anyway, you won't be as stupid as me, so can we just start by, keep your eyes closed if you don't mind, but if you need to come forward in response to that, would you mind doing that now? And then all that will happen is somebody will pray for you.